time to find your Bible and open to 2 Peter chapter 3. Get the sermon outline, open it up, get a pen so you can scribble questions and notes. Um, And there's a special little box for youth group at the bottom there, um, things for you to think about during the sermon. But we're reading from 2 Peter chapter 3. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of all the ungodly. But do not forget this, sorry, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends... Since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Um, If you could keep your Bibles open, that would be very helpful. And um, if you haven't opened your Bibles yet, um, I encourage you to do that because we're going through this passage verse by verse. It's 18 verses, and um, it's very helpful if you keep your Bibles open. And um, before we get there, let's pray together, and then we'll look at God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for coming together today uh, to listen to your word. Father, I just pray that you would help me to step away, to step aside, and let your glory shine through your word. 
And Father, may you use your Holy Spirit to guide your word like an arrow into the hearts of all people here today. And may you change us and shape us and mold us more into the likeness of Jesus. We pray this for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my friends, one of my Christian friends, he has a son uh, whose name is Amos. And Amos is a bit, a bit older than uh, Josiah. He started to speak. And um, Amos was coming at a time regularly to his dad, and he was asking this one question all the time. This question was, Dad, when, when is this party going to happen? And he was saying, Dad, um, is, it, is it to happen tomorrow? And um, can, I, can I invite this friend, this friend, and this friend? Are they all invited to that party? What Amos was talking about was the day of the Lord, because his dad told him about the day of the Lord, and he taught him that. And um, it's interesting, because Amos, um, even though he's so little, he was eagerly awaiting that day. And in, in his little mind, um, he, he had it as such a forefront of his mind, it was such a reality for him, that he was just um, looking at his friends and was asking himself, are they all invited? And um, in our passage today, Peter is actually addressing these churches, and he is talking like a loving father to his children. He's using the word beloved four times in this passage. And like my friend, um, Peter wants us and the people that he's talking to be prepared for the day of the Lord. Um, he wants us to see it as a reality in our minds and as something that could happen anytime, that could happen tomorrow. He wants us to live by it and to be shaped by this reality. And he wants us to walk the way of a holy life in reverence to God. And while we walk this way of holiness, we should fix our eyes on Jesus, eagerly awaiting his return, like Amos. And um, like a loving father, father, Peter also wants to protect us. He wants us to be protected on this way against dangerous people, against false teachers, mockers of God, who try to deceive us, to, to get us off this way of holiness and onto their way of a sinful life. And so the entire letter, basically, of Second Peter is a big contrast. It's a contrast between two responses to God's promises. It's a contrast between holiness and wickedness, between righteousness and sin, between evil and good, between a life in reverence to God and a scoffing at, a mocking of God. And so today we'll be looking at both of these ways, both of these responses to the gospel promise. But before we get there, Peter starts in the first two verses with a reminder. And um, I call it a reminder of a reminder because it's, it's basically a summary of chapter 1. And so we won't spend that much time on it. But if you look at verse 1, Peter tells us again that the purpose of this letter and um, even of his first letter, is to stimulate his readers to wholesome thinking. He literally uses the same words as in chapter 1. He literally says he wants us to be stirred up, to awake, 
to arouse our minds, our unmixed or pure minds, he says, because he wants them and us to live holy lives in response to God's promises. And what's the basis of his whole argument? The basis is nothing less than the authoritative word of God. And so in verse 2, Peter again reminds us that God's word is trustworthy. Here Peter pulls together the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament with the holy prophets where they spoke, they were holy because they were set apart by God as his mouthpiece, his trumpet, his megaphone of the past to call people to a holy life and to repentance. And Peter combines this with the New Testament command which Jesus gave through his apostles. Now, this command is probably not just a single command, but the whole counsel of God that the apostles were to teach and preach, the whole doctrine of the gospel in which they had to instruct the faithful. Peter is talking about the truth here, the very word of God that came with authority from Jesus who said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. The same Jesus who commanded his disciples later on to make more disciples and to teach and obey what? All that he commanded them. So it's not just a simple reminder. No, Peter is pushing for a holy life because that is how God wants us to live in response to the gospel. That is how he commands us to live. But the reality is that living a holy life is not that easy because it means to walk that narrow way, the hard way of life, a way that is different from the world around us. And it makes it even harder when there are some people waiting for us along the way who are dangerous. False teachers were trying to stir us off that way and away from it and onto their way of a sinful life. And that brings us to our second point for today, the scoffers, these people and their lives and responses to the response to the promises of the gospel. As we have seen in chapter 2, Peter spends an entire chapter to show us that these false teachers live lives marked by sexual immorality, greed, false teaching, and the corruption of others. Here in chapter 3, verse 3, Peter calls them scoffers, people who mock God because they want to follow their own evil desires, their own lusts and cravings. And they accuse God of being unfaithful because in verse 4 we read, they will say, where is the coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Do you see what they are doing there? Where is the promise of his coming? That's a very subtle question. Um, they don't deny that there is a promise, but they deny that God will fulfill this promise. They say, if this promise is true, surely we would have seen some preparations for his coming, some signs of his coming. But instead, there's nothing. Nothing has changed. And they assume that nothing will change in the future. So that they can go on with their sinful lives forever. And that there will be no consequences because God is so far away 
and not interested. Nothing has changed since the beginning of creation, they say. And you know what? There's actually some truth to that. Ironically, you will see it if you listen to it again. Where is the promise of his coming? Did God really say that he would come back a second time? Does God really care about what's going on? What can you hear there? There's a very familiar voice hissing in the background there. Can you hear it? It's that voice of that old serpent. Because these people, they are children of the devil. And in one way, it's true. Something hasn't changed since the beginning. The lies, the sin, the deceit, the mocking, the rebelling against God, it's all still there. Because humanity hasn't changed. But with that question, where is this promise? Satan and his servants, they're attacking the very heart of Christianity. They're attacking God's character and his faithfulness. If Christ wouldn't come back, Everything would implode like a house of cards. Christianity would have no foundation because God would be a liar. There would be nothing to trust in and there would be no salvation. And there would also be no justice or judgment. And so Peter is not just calling these scoffers out. No, in the following verses, he actually defeats their arguments and their lies because Peter shows us that these enemies deliberately ignore God's work. God's work of the past, of the present, and of the future. And Peter's weapon to defeat them, his ammunition, if you like, it comes directly from God's word, from the Old Testament. And he only has to fire two bullets at them to destroy their arguments. And the first bullet comes in verses 5 and 6. Have a look. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Peter is referring here to the great flood. You remember the waters that God divided in creation? He took the same waters in Noah's time and he threw them back together to create chaos and destruction. God made an end to the whole world at once, like that. It's, it's, it's basically as if God hit the reset button of creation. Now, how is that for a change since creation? How is that for a God who is involved with his powerful word in judgment? The very word that these scoffers deliberately ignore. Boom. That's the first bullet hitting the target right there. And here comes the second one. Have a look at verse 7. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Peter says God has done it before in Noah's time, and he will do it again in the future. But this time, not with water, this time with fire. And as you see, it's, it's the same word of God. The same word that created the universe will bring about that destruction and judgment on the last day. So in just three verses, Peter indeed shows us that God was involved in the past and that he will be involved in the future. 
but he's also involved in the present. The only reason why this future destruction hasn't happened yet is because the heavens and the earth are kept, reserved for fire. And let me ask you, kept by what? Reserved by what? By the powerful word of God. Because who is the word of God? Who is it that these people deny? It's Jesus. Because as we read in Colossians 1, it's by Jesus, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominion or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, what? In him all things hold together. You see, it is Christ who is holding the whole universe together at this very moment. And it is he who brings it to an end. And these scoffers have the audacity to scoff at him and at his faithfulness and to imply that he's a liar. Hasn't he shown his faithfulness already in his first coming? God, the eternal son, taking on flesh, Christ suffering, our punishment on the cross? Hasn't he shown that he was willing to bleed for us, to suffer for us, to die for us on the cross, to take the wrath of God upon him? What more do we need to see and know that God is involved and cares? But these scoffers, they don't see that. They willfully deny that. They don't have faith in God and in his promises of the gospel. Instead, they distort God's word. And Peter uses a very strong word here in verse 16. They literally pervert God's word. And even worse than that, they try to lead other people astray. They try to lead them away from a way of holiness onto their way of sinful lives. But what's the outcome for them? Well, verses 7 and 16 are pretty clear, aren't they? The ungodly will face judgment and destruction. And ungodly in verse 7 literally means those who do no, have no reverence for God, no fear, no awe in their heart for God. This is targeted at the scoffers, but it also includes those who will join them. The terrible thing about these scoffers is that this scoffing is actually contagious. And before you know it, you're part of it. And these people are addressed by Peter because he knows how dangerous they are and how quickly they can lead you astray. But they and all who will join them will end up in hell and face eternal punishment. It's something we don't like to talk about these days, but... A wise man once said, it is better to talk about hell and to hear about it than to feel it. God is merciful and loving, but he's also just. And that means on the last day he will bring justice, pouring, purging the earth with fire of all wickedness. And so the question for us is this, what are you listening to? The scoffers? The voice of that old serpent putting doubts into your heads? What are you filling your heads with? Do you fill it with the world that is scoffing at Christ, 
or with his word? What is your response to God's promises? Which way are you on right now? Maybe it's time to turn around. Do you believe in Christ and his second coming? If not, I urge you to turn around. Because salvation is only found in Christ. And that brings us to our last point for today, which is the way of a Christian, the Christian response. In um, the famous book, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan describes the beginning of this Christian way through his main character, who's also called Christian. And in the beginning of the book, Christian starts to run. And his family and his children and his wife, who are unconverted, they try to hold him back. But he keeps on running. And he puts his fingers into his ears, keeps on running, and he shouts out, Life! Life! Eternal life! He doesn't look backward. No, he keeps on running, and he first runs to the cross in repentance and faith, where he loses that huge burden that's on his back which is sin. And he keeps on going to the celestial city, and he fixes his eyes on this way that leads him there. And so our Christian life starts with God's grace, calling us to himself, calling us to the cross in repentance and faith. But once we are born-again Christians... How, do, how, how should we walk this way of holiness? How should we live our lives in light of God's promises, of his return? That's what Peter is addressing now. And there's one thing which we all need to remember. We need to remember who he is. This God who gave us his promises in the first place. This promise of the gospel. Peter says when these scoffers come along laughing and uh, saying to us, he's a bit slow, your God, isn't he? Last time we heard of him was about 2,000 years ago. Don't you want to join ours? Don't you want to join our way? When that happens, Christians have to remember this one thing which is of first importance. God is not a creature. God is our creator. And he is not like we humans are, impatient or bound by time. Have a look at verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote, God is outside of time. What we call present, past, and future, they are not present, past, and future for him. For him, they simply are. You know, we have to remember that God is not bound by time. God is not a creature, and we shouldn't humanize God. He transcends time. He's the one who created time in the beginning. And for him, time is a tool. It's a tool for his purpose of salvation. That's why Peter continues to say in verse 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, 
and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done it will be laid bare. You see, God is not slow, but patient, or literally long-suffering towards us. God is enduring our sins and our rebellion all this time. Why? Because God is faithful, and it's within his plan of salvation. God is patient, and in his patience, we see his grace towards us. He gives sinners like us time to come to faith and repentance. But this patience, it won't last forever. Because the day of the Lord will come with 100% certainty. Why? Because God is faithful to his promises. Because faithfulness is God's nature. It's his very nature. He cannot lie. And so he will do it. And one day he will bring the world, this world to an end. And he already knows when that will be because that date is fixed in the calendar. So the first thing we should remember is that God is, is our creator and not a creature. And is not like us. He's not like us. Let's pause here for a second, I would say. Because some people think that um, the devil is in the detail. But I think that's wrong when we get to the Bible. I think God is in the detail, in every word of it. And um, I want to go a bit into the detail now because I think, and I hope you bear with me, I think that it's important with verse 9 because verse 9 uh, might need some explanation. And it's, uh, it's because it has been taken out of context so many times again and again. Some people try to prove universalism with it, that everyone is saved. Others try to prove Arminianism with it, that God is not choosing us, but we choose God. And um, I... I th that, that's not what verse 9 is saying. And it makes sense to look at the context. First of all, what did we just read in verse 7? Yes, that the ungodly will indeed perish on the day of judgment. Because God promised not only salvation, but also judgment. And he will fulfill both his promises. So Peter is clearly not saying that the whole world will be saved, which would be universalism. Well, um, and then we have to look at um, who Peter is actually talking to here. From verse 1 in chapter 3, we know that he's talking to the same people as in his first letter, right? And who are they? Well, we can read it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter is talking to God's elect, to Christian churches in what is now called modern Turkey. And so in verse 9, when he says, instead, the Lord is patient with you, what he means is he's patient with these people in these churches, with God's elect. And he does not want any of them, or literally any can be translated, certain ones or some to perish. But he wants everyone, all of them, all of God's elect to come to repentance. And now, as a good pastor, Peter knows that probably not all of his people in the church are Christians yet. And he knows that God has chosen his elect before the time began. But he also knows that he will save them one day. And that will happen in God's timing. And that's what Peter is saying in verse 9. And that's why we 
have a call of repentance and faith here at KPC in our services because we want people to respond to the gospel, to turn away from their sins, to make a U-turn on that way of destruction that they are on, to be plucked out of the fire and to take refuge in Christ. And for those who have done so, who are Christians by God's grace, we want them to continue in this life of repentance and faith and a life of holiness and reverence to God. And this is why Peter continues in verse 11 addressing these Christians. Have a read. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy lives, holy and godly lives, as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about destruction of the heaven by fire and the elements will melt in, a, in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. As Christians, we look forward to that day of Christ's second coming. The NIV says speed, it's coming. But I think it's, the idea is more that we are eagerly longing for this day to come, like Amos. Not because there will be destruction and fire, heat, destroying everything. No, that's not the reason why we look forward to it. We long for it because we hope for something better. Because we trust in God's promises. Because we know that Christ, when he returns, will wipe away every tear. There will be no mourning, no death, no pain, but there will be a new heavens and a new earth and righteousness will dwell there. And in light of these promises, we should be the exact opposite of these scoffers. They follow their own desires, sinful desires. We follow Christ. They are ungodly or literally have no reverence to God. We live godly lives. Lives in reverence to God and in awe towards God. They are impatient, denying and mocking Christ's coming. We are patient and eagerly waiting for this day, accepting it to, uh, expecting it to come, preparing even for it. We are making every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with God. So is that the life that you're living right now? Are you expecting his coming, preparing for it? Are you like little Amos who can't wait for the big party? I think um, there are two traps we can fall into when it comes to holiness. Sometimes it seems like we, we have these two sides, right? These two extremes. There's legalism on the one hand, and then on the other hand, we can fall into something that the French would call laissez-faire, something like let, God, uh, let go and let God, some sort of liberalism. And sometimes I feel in Australia we are afraid of pushing ourselves and each other to live holy lives, to lovingly call for practical and real changes in our lives. 
changes that make us visibly different from the world around us in the way we speak, the way we interact with people, the things we do in our spare time. It seems as if we're afraid of legalism, of being called a Pharisee who lives a works righteousness life. But you know, the entire Bible is full of verses that call us to holiness, holy lives and reverence to and for God. And we can see that in verses 15 and 16. I won't go into them, but Peter supports his argument with Scripture there. He has done it before at the scoffers. He used Old Testament, the Old Testament. Now he uses the New Testament. He brings in Paul and he says, Paul is on the team Jesus. And everything that I say, he says as well. And yes, we have freedom in Christ. And our guilt is taken away, and it's all by God's grace. So I say, let us live for Christ, and all the more. Especially in light of this passage, because Peter's whole point is a big warning, a warning of false teachers who make God's grace and our freedom as Christians into a license for a sinful life. But friends, God wants us to live a holy life. And we can find it all over Scripture. So as we close, that leaves us with one big question. As a result of all that, how do we obey God's will? What does it mean to live a holy life? Well, Peter tells us at the end of his letter, and he sums it up with two commands. The first one is in verse 17. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard, so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. The command is to be on your guard. We can only live holy lives if we are different from the world around us. And we can only be different if we put on the armor of God, being on our guard, protecting us against the errors and lies of the world around us so that we are not led astray and that we don't become like them. And how do we do that? How can we be on our guards? The answer comes in Peter's last command, which basically sums up his entire letter. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can only live holy lives if we grow. And that means to tap into his grace, to get to know him more, to have a personal relationship with him. It's like that character, Christian, in Pilgrim's Progress. We never stop with that. We always keep on running the race until we either die or Christ returns. And the beautiful thing about growth is this, that by his grace and by his divine power, God has given us everything we need to live such a godly life, as Peter said in chapter 1. And the, one of the greatest preachers, Martin Lloyd-Jones, once said, it is impossible for a man to have justification without the seed of holiness and sanctification being in him at the same time. And that seed is to grow and develop. And so I want to leave you with three questions today. How is your seed of holiness doing today that God gave you by his grace? And 
Do you water it so that it may grow? And what are you doing to protect it against a world that scoffs at Christ? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we, we pray that that seed of holiness that you have given us will grow. And Father, we pray that if we haven't got that seed yet, that you would lead us to repentance and faith in Christ, because he's the only one in whom we will find salvation. And Father, Father, I pray that we will grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that all glory in everything that we do will be to him alone. For we pray in his name. Amen.